I'm going to need a lot more than that, thought Trev, travelling at speed across the city. If even Pepe knew there was something on the boil, then surely the old Sam would know too. Whoops! He sprinted quickly to the horse bus's rear platform and landed in the road before the conductor was anywhere near. If they didn't catch you on the bus, then they couldn't catch you at all, and while they were issued with those big shiny choppers to deter non-paying passengers, everyone knew that A, they were too scared to use them, and B, the amount of trouble they would get into if they actually whacked a respectable member of society, did not bear thinking of. He darted through the alley into Cockbill Street, spotted another bus plodding its way in the right direction, jumped onto the running board and held on. He was lucky this time. The conductor gave him a look and then very carefully did not see him. By the time he reached the big junction known as Five Ways, he had travelled almost the width of the city at an average speed faster than walking pace and had hardly had to run very far at all. A near-perfect result for Trev Likely, who wouldn't walk if he could ride. And there, right in front of him, was the hippo. It used to be a racetrack until all that was moved up to the far end of Ank. Now it was just a big space that every large town needs for markets, fairs, the occasional insurrection and, of course, the increasingly popular cart-tail sales, which were very fashionable with people who wanted to buy their property back. It was full today, without even a stolen shovel to be seen. All over the field, people were kicking footballs about. Trevor relaxed a little. There were pointy hats in the distance, and no one seemed to be doing any murder. Watcher, how you doing? He adjusted his eyeline down a little bit. How's it going, Throat? "'I'm hearing you're kind of associated with unseen academicals,' said Cut-Me-Own-Throat Dibbler, the city's most enterprising but inexplicably least successful businessman. "'Don't tell me you've come to sell pies.' "'Na, na, na,' said Dibbler. "'Too many amateurs here today. My pies aren't just knocked up out of rubbish for a load of drunken old football fans.' "'So your pies are for... Trev left the question hanging in the air with a noose on the end of it. "'Anyway, pies are so yesterday.' said Dibbler dismissively. I am on the ground floor of football memorabilityness. What's that, then? Like genuine autographed team jerseys and that sort of thing. I mean, look here. Dibbler produced from the large tray around his neck a smaller version of what one of the new glowing, glowing footballs would be if it were about half of the size and had been badly carved out of wood. See those white patches? That's so they could be signed by the team. You're going to get them signed, are you? Well, no, I think people would like to get that done themselves. The personal touch, you know what I mean? So they're actually just painted balls of wood and nothing else, said Trev. But authentic, said Dibbler. Just like the shirts, want one? Five dollars to you and that's cutting me own throat. He produced a skimpy red cotton item and waved it enticingly. What's that? Your team colours, right? Two big yellow U's on the front, said Trev. That's wrong. Ours has got two little U's interlocked on the left breast. "'Like a badge. Very stylish.' "'Pretty much the same,' said Dibbler airily. "'No one'll notice, and I had to keep the price down for the kiddies.' He leaned closer. "'Anything you can tell me about the game tomorrow, Trev? "'Looks like the teams are putting together a tough squad. "'Vetinari's not going to get it all his own way for once.' "'We'll play a good game, you'll see,' said Trev. "'Right. Can't lose with a likely playing, right? "'I just help around the place. I'm not playing. "'I promised me old mum after Dad died.' Dibbler looked around at the crowded stadium of the hippo. He appeared to have something else in his mind other than the need for the next dollar. "'What happens if your lot lose?' he said. "'It's only a game,' said Trev. "'Ah, oh, but Vetinari's got his reputation based on it. "'It's a game. One side wins, one side loses. Just a game.' "'A lot of people aren't thinking like that,' said Dibbler. 
Things always come out well for Vetinari, he went on, staring at the sky, and that's the magic, see? Everyone thinks he always gets it right. What do you think will happen if he gets things wrong? It's just a game, Throat, only a game. Be seeing you. Trev wandered onwards. People were putting up tiers of wooden stands on one side of the arena, and because this was Ankh-Morpork, when two or more people gathered together, thousands turned up just to wonder why. And there was Mr. Ponder Stibbons, sitting at a long table with some of the football captains. Oh, yes, the Rules Committee. There had been talk about that. Even with the rules written down, and half of them were as old as the game itself, there were a few things that had to be made clear. He arrived in time to hear Ponder say, Look, you can't have a situation in the new game where people hang around right next to the other team's goal. Worked all right before, said one of the captains. Yes, but the ball flies. One really good kick would send it down half the length of the hippo. If someone gets that right, the goalkeeper wouldn't have a chance. So what you're saying, said Mr Stollop, who had become a kind of spokesman for the captains, is that there's got to be two blokes from Team A in front of a bloke from Team B before he scores. Yes, that's about right, said Ponder stiffly, but one of them is the goalkeeper. So what happens if one of them fellas nips past him downfield before he kicks the ball? Then he will be what is traditionally known as off his side, said Ponder. Off his head, more like, said one of the captains, and since this had the same shape as humour, it got a laugh. If that's true, you could end up with loads of blokes rushing past one another, all trying to get the other poor buggers into an unlawful position, without any of the poor devils moving, right? Nevertheless, we are standing by this rule. We have tried it out. It allows for free movement on the field. In the old game, it wasn't unusual for players to bring their lunch and a copy of Girls, Giggles and Garters and just wait for the ball to come along. Hello, Trev, how are you getting on? It was Andy, and he was standing behind Trev. There must be a thousand people here today, Trev thought, in a curiously slow and blissful sort of way, and a lot of watchmen. I can see a couple of them from here. Andy isn't going to try anything right here, is he? Well, yes, he might, because that's what made him Andy. The little bee that buzzed in his brain might bang against the wrong bit and he would carve your face off. Oh, yes, and there was Tosha Atkinson and his mum strolling about as if out for a walk. Haven't seen you much about lately, Trev, said Andy. Been busy, I suspect. I thought you were lying low, said Trev hopelessly. Well, you know what they say. Sooner or later all sins are forgiven. In your case, quite a bit later, Trev thought. "'Besides,' said Andy, "'I'm turning over a new leaf, ain't I?' "'Oh, yeah.' "'Got out of the shove,' said Andy. "'Got to put aside my scallywag ways. "'Time to fit in.' "'Glad to hear it,' said Trev, waiting for the knife. "'So I'm a key player for Ankh Moorpork United.' "'It wasn't a knife, but it had a rather similar effect. "'Apparently his lordship gave them the idea,' Andy said, "'still speaking in the same greasy, friendly tone.' Of course, no one wants to be the team playing you wizards, so there is like a new one just for the occasion. I thought you never played, said Trev weakly. Ah, but that was in the bad old days before football was open to more individual effort and enterprise. See this shirt, he said. Trev looked down. He hadn't thought much about what the man was wearing, just that he was there. White with blue trim, said Andy cheerfully. Very snazzy. He turned around. The numeral one was on the back, in blue, with the name Andy Shank above it. My idea. Very sensible. 
means we'll know who we are from the back. And I told your wizards that your gentlemen ought to do the same, said Mrs. Atkinson, surely one of the most feared faces who had ever wielded a sharpened umbrella with malice aforethought. Grown men would back away from Mrs. Atkinson, otherwise grown men bled. Just what we need, thought Trev, our names on the back as well, saves them having the trouble to go round the front before they stab. Still, I can't stand here chatting all day with you. Got to talk to the team, got to think about tactics. There will be a referee, thought Trev. The watch will be there, Lord Vetinari will be there. Unfortunately, Andy Shank will be there too, and Nutt wants me as his assistant, and so I've got to be there. If it all goes wrong, the floor of the arena isn't going to be the place to be, and I'll be in it. Oh, and if you're wondering where that dim little girl of yours is, she's back there with a the fat girl. Honestly, what must you think of me? Nothing, right up until you said that, said Trev, and now I do. Give my best to the orc, said Andy. Shame to hear he's the last one. They strolled on, but Trev was quick enough to get out of the way before Mrs Atkinson sliced at his leg with her stick. Find Juliet. Find Nut. Find Glenda. Find help. Find a ticket to 4X. Trev had never fought, never really fought. Oh, there had been times when he was younger, when he was drawn into a bit of a ruck, and it was politic to be among the other kids, holding a makeshift weapon in his hands. He'd been so good at appearing to be everywhere, shouting a lot, and then running into the thick of the fray, but never actually catching up with the real action. He could go to the watch and tell them that Andy had been threatening. Andy was always threatening. When trouble struck in the shove, as it sometimes did, when two tribes were brought into conjunction, there was always the forest of legs to dive between, and once, when Trev had been really desperate, a number of shoulders to run across. What was he thinking? He wouldn't be there. He wasn't going to play. He'd promised his old mum. Everyone knew he'd promised his old mum. He'd like to play, but his old mum wouldn't like it. It was as if his old mum had written him a note. Dear Andy, please do not knife Trevor today because he has promised not to play. He blinked away the sensation that a knife was already hurtling towards him and heard the voice of Nut saying, Oh, I have heard about Bubble." There was Glenda and Juliet and Nut and Juliet and a slightly worried young lady with a notebook and Juliet. There was also Juliet, but it was hard to even notice her because Juliet was there. She says she wants to write an article, said Glenda, who had clearly waylaid the journalist. Her name is Miss Roz, said the girl. Everyone's talking about you, Mr Nut. Would you answer a few questions, please? We have a very now audience. An archbishop in a house of negotiable affection might have looked a little more puzzled than Nut right now, but the amount of said puzzlement depends on how many archbishops you know. Yes, he ventured. How does it feel to be an orc, Mr Nut? I am not sure. How does it feel to be human? said Nut. Have your experiences as an orc affected the way you will play football? I will only be playing as a substitute. My role is merely that of a trainer. And, I have to say, in answer to your question, I'm not sure I have had many experiences as an orc up until now. But are you advising the players to rip opponents' heads off? the girl giggled. Glenda opened her mouth, but Nut said solemnly, No, that would be against the rules. I hear they think you're a very good trainer. Why do you think this is? Despite the patent stupidity of the question, Nut seemed to think deeply. One must consider the horizons of possibility, he said slowly. 
a pluribus unum, the many become one, but it could just as easily be said that the one becomes many, ex uno multi, and indeed, as von Sliss said in The Effluence of Reality, the one, when carefully considered, may in fact be a many in different clothing. Glenda looked at the girl's face. Her expression hadn't moved, and neither had her pencil. Nutt smiled to himself and continued. Now, let us consider this in the light, as it may be, of the speeding ball. Where it has come from we believe we know, but where it will land is an ever-changing conundrum, even if only considered in four-dimensional space. And there we have the existential puzzle that confronts the striker, for he is both striker and struck. As the ball flies, all possibilities are inexorably linked, as Herr Frugel said in Das Nichts der Wissens, Ich kann mich nicht genau erinnern, aber es war so etwas wie eine vanillehaltige Süße nach Speisen Beigabe, although I believe he was on some medication at the time. Who is mover and who is moved? Given that the solution can only be arrived at through conceptual manifestation, using, I believe, some perception of transfinite space, it can clearly be seen that among the possibilities is that the ball will land everywhere at the same time, or turn out never to have been kicked at all. It is my job to reduce this metaphysical overhead, as it were, and to give my lads some acceptable paradigm, such as it might be, "'Whack it right down the middle, my son, and at least if the goalie stops it, you will have given him a hot handful he won't forget in a hurry.' You see, the thing about football is that it is not about football. It is a most fascinating multidimensional philosophy, an extrusion, as it were, of what Dr. Maspinder promulgated in Das Meer von Unvermeidigkeit. Now, you would say to me, I'm sure, he went on, what of the 442, or even the 41212, yes? And my answer to that would be, there is only the one. Traditionally, we say there are eleven players in the team, but that is because of our rather feeble perceptions. In truth, there is only the one, and therefore, I would say, he gave a little laugh, Daring to adapt a line from the doors of deception, it does not matter whether you win or lose, so long as you score the most goals. The girl looked down at her notepad. Could you give that to me a little bit more simply? Oh, I'm sorry, said Nut. I thought I had. And I think that's about enough, said Glenda, taking the girl by the arm. But I haven't asked him about his favourite spoon, she wailed. Nut cleared his throat. Well... I would have appreciated some notice of that question, because it is quite a large field, but I think the great bronze spoon of clad, which weighed more than a ton, would definitely have to be a runner, though we must not forget the set of spoons, each one smaller than a grain of rice, crafted by some unknown genius for the concubines of the Emperor Wazy. But undoubtedly, from what I can gather, these were surpassed by the notorious clockwork spoon devised by bloody stupid Johnson, which could apparently stir coffee so fast that the cup would actually rise up from the saucer and hit the ceiling. Oh, to be a fly on that wall, but not too close, obviously. Possibly less well known is the singing spoon of the learned sage Lai Tin Wheedle, which could entertain the dinner table by singing comic songs. Among other great spoons, that is enough, said Glenda, tugging the girl away for her own good. He's an orc, the girl said. So everyone says, said Glenda. Were they all like that? I thought it was all about twisting heads off. Well, I suspect people get bored with the same old thing. But how does he know all about spoons? 
Believe me, if anyone has ever written Great Spoons of the World, Mr. Nutt has read it. Trev heard the girl's plaintive voice as Glenda almost forcibly led her away, or at least away from Nutt. I really wanted to talk to Jules, Trev heard the girl say as she walked past Juliet without a glance. But she's hiding out, everyone says. He hurried across and pulled the other two in a huddle towards him. There's going to be murder tomorrow, he said. The wizards can't use magic, and Ankh-Morpork United is going to be made up out of the toughest, nastiest bunch of buggers that are outside the Tanty. We shall have to change our tactics to suit, then, said Nut. Are you nut? Insane. I'm talking about people like Andy, Nut. And he might not be the worst one. But everything is a matter of tactics, a respect for strengths and weaknesses, and the proper utilisation of the knowledge, said Nut. Listen, said Trev, there won't be time for that sort of thing. If I may quote, Nut began, I said, listen, do you know any quotes by people who've been knifed in the back and then kicked in the nut? He stopped and then continued, kicked when they're lying on the ground, yes, because that's what you need to be thinking about at the moment. The watch will be there, said Nut, but generally their way of dealing with a complicated event is to get everyone lying on the ground, said Trev. That makes it simpler. I feel certain that we could beat any team at football, said Nut soothingly. Trev looked around him in a desperate search for anyone who might have a grip. It doesn't work like that. It's not about the football. I don't think I want to see anyone hurt, said Juliet. Then you'll have to close your eyes, said Trev. Nut, you think that everything is going to be nice and sportsmanlike because that's how the new football has been designed, but it's the same old people out there. You know what I think? My dad says it won't look very good for veterinary if the academicals lose, said Juliet. And will he be glad about that, said Trev. Well, I suppose, yes, but even Dad says probably better to have bloody veterinary than most of the buggers we've had. That was because the city worked, thought Trev. It had been a mess before veterinary had taken over, and no one knew exactly how he'd done it. He'd got the watch working properly. He'd got the war between the dwarfs and the trolls sorted out. He let people do whatever they liked, provided they did whatever he liked. And above all, the city was crammed with people and money. Everyone wanted to live in Ankh-Morpork. Could he really be shaken down because the new football went bad? Well, the answer was, of course, yes, because that's how people were. Trev mentioned this to Glenda as she came back from ushering the bemused Roz out of the range of more of Nut's philosophy. She looked at Trev and said, Do you think Vetinari knows about this? Dunno, said Trev. Well, I know he's supposed to have lots of spies, but I don't know whether they'd know about this. Do you think someone ought to tell him? said Glenda. Trev laughed. What are you suggesting? That we go over to the palace, walk right up to him and say, Excuse us, mister, there are a few things that have escaped your attention. Yes, said Glenda. Thank you, Drumnod, that will be all for now, said Vetinari. Yes, sir, said Drumnod. He nodded at Lady Margolotta and oiled his way noiselessly out of the room. Have a look. I appreciate that Drumnot is very competent, but he always seems to me to be a rather strange little man. Well, it would be a funny old world if we were all alike, madam, although I admit not very funny if we were all like Drumnot. But he is loyal and excessively trustworthy, said Vetinari. Hm, said her ladyship. Does he have much of a personal life? I believe that he collects different types of stationery, said Vetinari. I have sometimes speculated that he might change his life for the better should he meet a young lady willing to dress up as a manila envelope. They were on the balcony outside the oblong office, which offered a perfect view of the centre of the city while leaving the viewer almost invisible. 
"'The accord is going ahead,' said Vetinari. "'Certainly,' said her ladyship. "'Peace at last between dwarfs and trolls.' Vetinari smiled. "'The word peace is generally defined as a period of rest and rearmament before the next war. "'Were many assassinations necessary?' "'Have a lock. Sometimes you are too direct.' "'I do beg your pardon. It's just that the progress of history requires butchers as well as shepherds.' "'There were no assassinations,' said her ladyship. She turned her eyes upwards. "'There was, however, a terrible mining accident and a rather unusual rock-slide. But, of course, there is still the loco business to sort out. The dwarfs still want total extermination.' "'How many orcs are there?' "'Nobody knows. Perhaps Nut will be able to find them.' "'We must not have genocide,' said Vetinari. "'History has a way of repaying. "'He is turning out to be quite a surprise.' "'So I understand. "'From the reports I have been receiving, "'all that the orcs were not, he is. "'But he will remain an orc underneath it all,' said her ladyship. "'I wonder what remains under all of us,' said Vetinari. "'You've taken a very big risk, you know,' said Lady Margolotta. "'Madam, this city is all risk, I assure you. "'And power is a game of smoke and mirrors,' said her ladyship, reaching for the wine. "'Oddly enough, Commander Vimes reminds me of that nearly every day. "'No civil police force could hold out against an irate and resolute population. "'The trick is not to let them realise that, yes?' There was a knock at the door. It was Drumnot again. "'I'm sorry to interrupt, sir, madam, but in these circumstances I thought it would be a good idea,' he sniffed. "'It's the lady with the pies.' "'Ah, Miss Sugarbean, legendary inventor of the famous ploughman's pie,' said Vetinari. He glanced at her ladyship. "'And Mr. Nutt's friend.' "'I have met her, Havelock. She harangued me.' "'Yes, she does it very well. You feel as if you've had a nice cold bath.' "'Do show her in, Drumnot. "'And there is a young man with her. "'I recognise him as Trevor Likely, "'son of the famous footballer Dave Likely, "'and I'm informed by her "'that she has indeed brought you a ploughman's pie. "'You would take untested food "'from a member of the public,' "'said her ladyship, horrified. "'Certainly from this one,' said Vetinari. "'There is no possible way "'that she would ever put poison in anything. "'Not out of respect for me, you understand, "'but out of respect for the food.' "'Don't leave. I think you will find this interesting.' The pie was still warm in Glenda's hands as she stepped into the oblong office. She herself almost froze at the sight of Lady Margolotta, but a certain robustness kicked in. "'Do I have to curtsy?' she said. "'Not unless you really feel the need.' "'We've come to warn you,' said Trev. "'Indeed,' Vetinari raised an eyebrow. "'Ank Moorpork United will walk all over unseen academicals with great big boots on.' "'Oh, dear. Do you think that will be the case?' "'They're not your average players,' Trev blurted out. "'They're from the shove. They go armed.' "'Ah, yes. Football as warfare,' said Vetinari. "'Well, thank you for telling me.' Silence fell. Vetinari broke it by saying, "'Was there anything else you would like to say?' He looked at the pie that Glenda was holding out in front of her like some kind of chastity device. "'Can't you do something?' she said. "'It's a game, Miss Sugarbean. "'Having suggested the match in the first place, "'what do you think I would look like if I intervened? "'There will, after all, be rules. "'There will, after all, be a referee.' "'They won't care,' said Trev. "'Then I suppose the watch will have to do its duty.' 
And now, if you'll excuse me, I have affairs of state to attend to, but please leave the pie. One moment, said her ladyship. Why have you come to warn his lordship, young lady? Isn't that the sort of thing I ought to do? said Glenda. And you walked in, just like that. Well, the pie helped. We have met before, you know, said her ladyship. She stared at Glenda, and Glenda stared back, and she finally managed. Yes, I know, and I'm not frightened, and I'm not sorry. The battle of the stairs went on for a year too long, and then Lady Margolotta turned her head away sharply and said, Well, you have got one of them right, but I'm sure I shall enjoy the pie and also the match. Yes, yes, said Vetinari. Thank you both for calling, but if you will excuse us, we do have matters of state to discuss. Well, said Lady Margolotta, as the door shut behind them, what type of people are you incubating in this city of yours, Havelock? I imagine some of the very best, said Vetinari. Two common people can barge in on you without so much as an appointment. But with a pie, said Vetinari quickly. You were expecting them. Let us just say that I was not unduly surprised, said Vetinari. I certainly know about the make-up of Ankh-Morpork United. So does the watch. And you are going to let them into an arena with a bunch of old wizards who have promised not to do magic? A bunch of old wizards and Mr. Nutt, said Vetinari cheerfully. Apparently he's very good at tactical planning. I can't allow that. This is my city, Margolotta. There are no slaves in Ankh-Morpork. He is my ward. I expect you'll ignore that, though. I have every intention of doing so. After all, it's only a game. But a game is not about games. And what sort of game do you think you will get tomorrow? A war, said Vetinari. And the thing about war is that it's about war. Lady Margolotta shot out her long sleeve, and a fine steel dagger was suddenly in her hand. I suggest you cut it in half, said Vetinari, indicating the pie and I will choose which half to pick up. But what if one half has more pickled onions than the other? Then I think that will be open to negotiation. Would you like some more wine? Did you see that she tried to stare me down? said Margolotta. Yes, said Vetinari. I saw that she succeeded. When Glenda and Trev got back to the hippo, Nut looked at them expectantly. He hardly listened, said Trev. Quite so said Nutt. I am confident of our success on the morrow. I am quite certain that we will be tactically supreme. I'm just glad I won't be playing, that's all, said Trev. Yes, Mr. Trev, that really is a great shame. From the nearby table, where last-minute adjustments were being made by the Football League, came the voice of somebody saying, Nah, nah, look, you've still got it wrong. If a bloke from side B is closer to the goalkeeper... No, no, I tell a lie. If he's closer to the goal than the goalkeeper, then he surely puts one away there and then, stands to reason. There was a sigh that could only have come from Ponder Stibbons. No, I don't think you understand. Another voice chipped in. If the goalkeeper is that far out of his goal, then he's a billock. Look, let's start again, said another voice. Supposing I'm this bloke here. Trev looked across and saw one of the men flick a screwed up piece of paper across the table. Like, I've kicked the ball that far and this is me, this piece of paper. Then what? He flicked the paper once again, which hit Ponder's pencil. No, I've already explained that and stop flicking bits of paper around. I find it very confusing. But it must work if he dribbles on it, said a voice. 
"'Hold on a minute, though,' said yet another voice. "'What happens right if you get the ball in your own half of the field "'and run all the way, not passing it to anyone else, "'and get it into the net?' "'That would be perfectly legal,' said Ponder. "'Yeah, but there's no way that's going to happen, is there?' "'said the man who had just flicked a soggy piece of paper "'and had enjoyed it so much that he'd flicked another one. "'But if he tries and succeeds, it would be magnificent football, would it not?' "'said Ponder. "'Where's our team?' said Trev, looking around. "'I've suggested that they have an early night,' said Ponder. "'An early night for wizards is two o'clock in the morning,' said Glenda. "'I have also given instructions that the team are to have a special meal this evening,' said Nut. "'On that note, Miss Glenda, I shall have to ask you to lock the night kitchen.' Stony silence hung over the dining-room that evening. "'I don't eat salads,' said Bledlow Nobbs, no relation. "'They gives me the wind.' "'How can a man live without pasta?' said Bengo. "'This is barbaric.' "'I hope you notice that my plate is as barren as yours, gentlemen,' said Ridcully. "'Mr. Nutt is training us, and I'm allowing Mr. Nutt the driver's seat. "'Nor is there to be any smoking this evening.' "'There was a chorus of dismay, and he raised his hand for silence. "'Also, his instruction here—' "'He looked closer at Nutt's rather untidy writing and gave a little smile. "'There is to be no sexual congress.' This did not meet with the reaction he had expected. "'That means talking about it, doesn't it?' said the Chair of Indefinite Studies. "'No, that's oral sex,' said Rincewind. "'Nor that's listening to it!' Bengo Macarona sat with a dazed look on his face. "'Now, I don't want any sneaking off for midnight snacks,' said Ridcully. "'There are rules. Mrs. Whitlow and Miss Sugarbean have been told that I fully back Mr. Nutt's authority here. Surely you gentlemen could show some backbone.' "'In an attempt to show solidarity with the rest of the team,' said the lecturer in recent rooms, "'I am led to believe that there is some cheese in the mousetrap in my room.' Ridcully was left all alone, with only the echo of falling chairs for company. The Arch-Chancellor repaired to his own room and tossed his hat onto its stand. "'There have to be rules,' he said to himself, "'and there has to be a rule for them and a rule for me.' He went to his eight-poster bed and opened the hatch containing the tobacco jar. It now contained a little note instead, saying, "'Dear Arch-Chancellor, "'In accordance with your ratification of Mr. Nutt's instructions "'that the faculty are not to be allowed food "'or the implements of smoking this evening, "'I've taken the liberty of clearing away your cigarettes and pipe tobacco. "'May I also mention that I've emptied the cool cupboard "'of the usual cold cuts and pickles to avoid temptation.' "'Bugger!' said Ridcully under his breath. He walked to his wardrobe and rummaged in the pocket of his smoking jacket, coming up with a note that said, "'In accordance with Mr. Nutt's rules, as ratified by yourself, Arch-Chancellor,' and it was remarkable how reproachful Mrs. Whitlow could make her handwriting, "'I have taken the liberty of removing your emergency peppermints.' "'Change and decay,' Ridcully declared to the night air. "'I am surrounded by traitors. They thwart me at every turn.' He wandered disconsolately past his bookcase and pulled out Baudry's Occult Companion, a book he knew by heart. And because he knew the book by heart, page 14 opened onto a neat little cavity, which contained a packet of extra-strong licorice mints, an ounce of jolly sailor tobacco, and a packet of whizzlers, and, as it turned out, a small note. Dear Arch-Chancellor, I just didn't have the heart. Mrs. Whitlow. It seemed darker than usual. Generally, the Arch-Chancellor's rulings were obeyed, and it seemed to the members of Unseen Academicals that every door was closed, indeed slammed, as they searched for food. 
Every pantry was locked and spell-proofed. The team trudged helplessly from one hall to another. "'I do have some reheatable pasta in my room,' said Bengo Macarona. "'My grandmother gave it to me before I came down here. It will keep for ten years, and my grandmother says it will taste as good after ten years as it does now. I regret that she may have been telling the truth.' "'If you get it, we could cook it up in my room,' said the lecturer in recent runes. "'If you like. It contains alligator testicles for nourishment. They are very popular at home.' "'I didn't know alligators had testicles,' said the lecturer in recent runes. "'They haven't got them any more,' said Bledlow Nobbs, no relation. "'I've got a biscuit. We could share that out,' said Ponder Stibbons. He was immediately pierced by their questioning gazes. "'No,' he said, "'I am not going to countermand the Arch-Chancellor's orders any further than that.' I would never hear the last of it, gentlemen. Without a hierarchy, we are nothing. The librarian will have some bananas, said Rincewind. Are you sure? said Macarona. I think the librarian has a motto in these cases. If you try to take my bananas from me, I will reclaim them from your cold, dead hands. Trev, who had been lurking in the shadows, waited until the rumble of stomachs died away in the distance, and then hurried back and knocked on the bolted door of the night's kitchen. They've all met up, and they're headed for the library. Good. I think he'll share his bananas with them, said Nut. I don't really see the point, said Glenda. The point is they are friends, partners in adversity. They are a team. That is football. You have to train a team to be a team, and I will have no problem with them having a very large breakfast in the morning. Nut was changing, Trev thought. Can I ask you a personal question, Mr. Nut? Nearly all the questions people ask me are personal, though do go ahead, Mr. Trev. Well, eh, all right. Sometimes you look big, and sometimes you look small. What's that all about? It is something built into us, said Nut. I believe that it is a product of the morphic field contracting and expanding. It affects your perceptions. When you are upset, you do look very small, said Glenda. What size do I look now? Pretty big, said Trev. Good, said Nut helping himself to a slice of pie. Tomorrow I intend to look even bigger. There's something else we have to do, said Trev. Pepe wants to help me. He thinks I'm going to play football. Well, you are going to play football, said Nut. No, you know this. I promised my old mum, and you can't break a promise to your old mum, God's rest her soul. Do you have keys to the wine cellar, Glenda? Do you think I'd tell you, Trev, likely? Thought not. I want two bottles of best brandy, and uh, could you all come with me, please? I think Pepe means well, but he, uh, well, you know him, it's midnight and everything. I think I know Pepe, said Glenda. There was a guard on the rear door of Shatter, but before he could even think of turning away Trev and his bodyguards, Pepe appeared. Cor, three chums, I must be very frightening, he said, leering. Hello, chums, got the brandy? Yes, what's this all about, Pepe? You've been putting the willies up, Trev, said Glenda. I never have. I hardly ever put the willies up anyone these days. I just told him he was going to play in the football. I promised my old mum, said Trev, clinging to the declaration as if it were a tiny raft in a choppy sea. But you've got a star in your hand and you don't have much of a choice. Trev looked at his palm. Just lot of lines. Well, there's them that has the sight, and there again there's them that don't. I'm one of those that have. It's metaphorical, see? But all it is is that I would like to give you a little something that may be of use to you tomorrow. What am I saying? It might damn well save your life, said Pepe. It'll certainly save your marriage. I'm sure the ladies here would like to think that us at Shatter have done the best for you.
For what it's worth, Trev, I trust Pepe, said Glenda. And this is Mr. Nutt, said Trev. He's a friend. Yeah, I know what Mr. Nutt is, said Pepe. And you can come too. I'm pleased to make your acquaintance. He turned to Glenda. You girls stay here, miss, he said. This is no errand for a lady. He ushered the boys into the gloom. What I'm going to show you, gentlemen, is top secret, and if you cross me, Trev Likely, I will do things that will make Andy Shank look like a playground bully. Andy was a playground bully, said Trev, as they reached what was clearly a forge. Micro-mail, said Pepe with satisfaction. The world hasn't seen the half of it yet. It looks just like fine chain mail, said Nut. It's strange stuff, said the dwarf. I can give you a vest and a pair of shorts, and they better both come back here, boy, otherwise said implications will be performed on your arse, and I ain't kidding. This stuff isn't just for making the girls look pretty. You would be amazed what it can do with just a little change in the alloy. He pointed to a glistening heap. It's as light as a feather, and doesn't chafe, you know. And what else does it do? I'll show you in a minute. Slip on a pair of the shorts. What? Here? said Trev. Somehow, Pepe looked like a small demon by the light of the forge. Oh, look at Mr. Bashful, said Pepe. Just pull a pair on over your trousers for now, and I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll even turn my back while you're doing that. He looked away, fiddling with the tools beside the anvil. Got them on, he said, after listening to a few minutes of heavy breathing. Yeah, they, uh, well, they feel all right. OK, said Pepe. Could you just wait here one moment? He disappeared into the darkness, and, after a succession of strange noises, walked back into view slowly and awkwardly. What's that you're wearing, Pepe? said Trev. It looks like a mass of cushions to me. Oh, just a bit of protection, said Pepe. Now, if you could just go back a little way, Mr Nutt, and Trev, if you could oblige me by putting your hands on your head, it just helps to get the measurements right. He turned his back on them. Okay, Trevor, are your hands on your head? Yeah, yeah. At which point Pepe spun round and hit him full force in the groin with a twenty-four-pound sledgehammer. Surprisingly, the only effect was to send Pepe crashing into the opposite wall. Perfect, said his voice, muffled by the padding. Morning came, but it seemed to Glenda that there was no night and no day, no work and no play, there was just football ahead of them all, drawing them together. In the great hall, the team had a table all to themselves, servants and wizards side by side, filling up as only Unseen University could. Football owned the day. Nothing was happening that wasn't about football. There were certainly no lectures. Of course, there never were, but at least today they weren't being attended because of the excitement about the upcoming match, rather than not being attended because no one wanted to go to them and after a while Glenda became aware of the sound which was coming from the city itself. There were crowds outside the university. There were crowds, even now, queuing to get into the hippo. The sound of a hundred thousand people at one purpose rose like the buzz of a distant swarm. Glenda went back to the sanctuary of the night kitchen and tried to pass some time by doing some baking, but the dough fell from her fingers. "'Are you upset?' said Juliet. "'I hope we're going to win,' said Glenda. "'Well, of course we're going to win,' said Juliet. "'That's all very well up until the time we lose,' said Glenda. "'Yes, who's that?' The door was pushed open, and Pepe stepped in, looking smarter than usual, 
"'Hello, ladies,' he said. "'Got a little message for you. "'How was you expecting to watch the match?' "'Just so long as we can get close,' said Glenda. "'Tell you what, then,' said Pepe. "'Madame has got the best seats in the stadium. "'Nothing underhand, just open and above-board bribery. "'Shatter has got to be seen out and about, you see. "'Got to keep micromail in the public eye.' "'I'd love to,' Juliet shouted. "'And even Glenda found that her automatic, unthinking cynicism was letting her down.' "'There will be Sherry,' said Pepe. "'Will there be anyone famous there?' said Juliet. Pepe walked over and prodded her gently in the chest and said, "'Yes, you, miss. Everyone wants to see jewels.' It seemed as if the clocks turned backwards. All watch leave had been suspended, but it was hard to see what crime there could be in streets where nobody could move. A flood of humanity—well— mostly humanity, poured towards the stadium, bounced off it and overflowed and backfilled more and more of the city. The game was in the hippo, the crowd stretched back to Sator Square, and eventually the pressure of so many eyeballs on the hands of so many clocks moved time forwards. Only the team and Trev remained in the great hall, everyone else having left much earlier in a fruitless attempt at securing a seat. They milled around aimlessly, prodding the ball to one another until Ponder, Nutt, and the Arch-Chancellor turned up. "'Well, big day, lads,' said Ridcully. "'Looks like there's going to be a nice day for it as well. "'They're all over there waiting for us to give them a show. "'I want you to approach this in the best traditions of unseen university sportsmanship, "'which is to cheat whenever you're unobserved, "'although I fear that the chance of anyone being unobserved today is remote. "'But, in any case, I want you all to give it one hundred and ten percent.' "'Excuse me, Arch-Chancellor,' said Ponder Stibbons, I understand the sense of what you are saying, but there is only one hundred percent. Well, they could give it one hundred and ten percent if they tried harder, said Ridcully. Well, yes and no, sir, but in fact that would mean that you had just made the one hundred percent bigger, while it would still be one hundred percent. Besides, there is only so fast a man can run, only so high a man can jump. I just wanted to make the point. "'Good point, well made,' said Ridcully, dismissing it instantly. He looked around at the faces. "'Ah, Mr. Likely, I suppose there is nothing I can do that would get you onto the team? Dave Likely's boy playing for unseen academicals would be a bit of a feather in our cap, and I see my colleague Professor Rincewind has humorously already put a white one in his.' "'Well, sir, you know I'm fixed,' Trev mumbled. "'Your old mum,' said Ridcully, nodding understandingly. "'I promised her,' said Trev. "'I know she's passed away, but I'm certain that she still watches over me, sir. "'Well, that's nice and does your credit. "'Is there anything else that can be said? Let me think. "'Oh, yes, gentlemen, Mrs. Whitlow, as is her wont on these occasions, "'has organised her maids to dress up in appropriate costume "'and cheer us on from the sidelines.' "'His face was a blank mask as he continued. "'Mrs. Whitlow unaccountably takes an enthusiastic "'and uncharacteristically athletic part in these things.' There will be high kicking, I am told, but if you are careful where you let your gaze fall, you should see nothing that will upset you too much. Excuse me, sir, said Rincewind. Is it true that some of the men in Ankh-Morpork United are just a bunch of thugs from the shove? That might be a bit harsh, Ridcully began. Excuse me, sir, said Trev. That is quite true. I would say about half of them are honest cloggers and the rest of them are bastards. Well... "'I'm sure we will overcome,' said Ridcully jovially. "'I would also like to make a few comments before we leave, sir,' said Nutt. "'A few words of advice, perhaps? "'In these few days I have taught you everything I know, "'even if I do not know how I know it. "'As you know, 
I am an orc, and whatever else we were, we were team players. You are playing, therefore, not as individuals, but as a team. I think it was von Houdenbrau who said, I don't think we've got very much time to get through the crowds, said Ridcully, who had been expecting this. Thank you, Mr. Nutt, but I really think we ought to get going. Those watching from above would have seen the cramped streets of the city waver as the red caterpillar that was the unseen academicals made its way to the ground. There were cheers and there were boos, and because this was Ankh-Morpork, usually the cheers and the booing were done alternately by everyone concerned. By the time Lance Constable Blue John of the Watch and two other trolls had forcibly prized open the gates against the pressure of bodies, the noise was just one great hammer of sound. The troll officers opened a path for them with the forethought and delicacy that has made police crowd control such a byword. It led to a fenced-off and heavily guarded area, in the centre of which was the Arch-Chancellor, formerly known as Dean, the entire team of Ankh-Morpork United, and His Grace the Duke of Ankh, Commander of the City Watch, Sir Samuel Vimes, with a face like a bad lunch. "'What the hell are you clans proposing to do to my city?' he demanded, and looked up at Veterinari in his box, in the middle of the stand. He raised his voice. I've been grafting like mad this last month on getting the KV Accord sorted out, and it turns out that just when the dwarfs and the trolls are shaking hands and being jolly good pals, you lot are starting another KV of your very own. Oh, come now, Sam, said Ridcully. It's only a jolly day out. People are queuing up at the gates, said Vimes. The actual city gates. How much of this is magical? None, Sam, as far as we're aware. There will be no magic used during the game. This has been discussed and agreed, and the... Ridcully swallowed hard. The Arch-Chancellor of Brazenick University is making himself responsible for thaumic damping of the stadium. Then let me tell you this, said the commander. None of my men will set a foot on the field of play, no matter what happens. Do I make myself clear? As crystal, Sam. Sorry, Arch-Chancellor, for now I am commander of the city watch, not Sam, if it's all the same to you, said Vimes. The whole damn city is an accident waiting to... No, an accident that already has happened, and anything that goes bad will get worse very quickly. I'm not going to have it said that the watch were the problem. Honestly, Mustram, I really would have expected better from you. That will be Arch-Chancellor, said Ridcully coldly. As far as I'm concerned, said Vimes, this is a scuffle between rival gangs. Do you know what my job is, Arch-Chancellor? It's to keep the peace, and for two pins I'd arrest the whole boiling of you, but his lordship won't have it. Ridcully coughed. "'May I extend my congratulations, sir, on the very good work you've been doing in Coombe Valley?' "'Thank you,' said Vimes. "'And so I suspect you can imagine how cheerful I am to see you involved in another kind of war.' The commander turned to Arch-Chancellor Henry. "'Nice to see you again, sir.' Policemen have a way of pronouncing the word sir as if they would really like to spell it cur. "'It's good to see that you've moved up in the world.' I'm formally telling you that I'm laying down the law here, and as the referee, you have to pick it up. Inside these lines, it's football. Step over the line, and it's me. He turned back to Ridcully. Mind how you go, Arch-Chancellor. He departed, watchman falling into place behind him. Well, now, I suspect the good commander has a lot on his mind these days, said Arch-Chancellor Henry brightly. He pulled out his watch. I would like to speak to the team captains. "'Well, I know I'm one of them,' said Ridcully. A man stepped forward from the ranks of United. "'Joseph Hoggett of the Portbackers, as it happens, captain for my sins.' 
Hoggett held out his hand to Ridcully, and, to his credit, hardly winced when it was taken in a firm handshake. "'Well, gentlemen,' said the former dean, "'I am sure you know the rules. We've been through them often enough. I want a good, clean game. One long air peep from my whistle means that I am interrupting play for an infringement or injury, or for some other reason, at that point known only to myself.' One even longer peep, which I suppose will be more of a parp, will mean the end of one half and time for refreshment, after which the game will recommence. During the interval, I believe that there will be a marching display by the Ankh Morpork Accordion Band, but I suppose these things are sent to try us. May I remind you, gentlemen, that you change ends at the half-time. Also, please impress on your team that the goal they are aiming for should not be behind them. If I see any serious infringement, that player will be removed from the pitch. A considerably longer parp, which, as far as I'm concerned, will continue until I am out of breath, will mark the end of the game. May I also remind you, as Commander Vimes has reminded us, that within these four rather sticky lines of chalk, I am a wielder of power second only to the gods themselves, and then only perhaps... If at any time it becomes clear that the rules themselves are impractical, I will change them. When I blow the whistle, I shall raise my staff and unleash a spell which will prevent any further magic being used within these hallowed lines until the close of play. Is that understood? Yes, sir, said Mr. Hoggett. Mustrum, said the former dean in a meaningful voice. Yes, yes, all right, grumbled Ridcully. You are making the most of your little moment, aren't you? Let's get on with it, shall we? Gentlemen, would you please form up your teams for the singing of the national anthem? Mr. Stibbons, I believe you have found me a megaphone. Thank you very much. He raised the horn to his lips and shouted through it, Ladies and gentlemen, be upstanding for the national anthem. The singing of the national anthem was always a ragged affair, the good people of Ankh-Morpork feeling that it was unpatriotic to sing songs about how patriotic you were, taking the view that someone singing a song about how patriotic they were was either up to something or ahead of state, i.e. up to something. An additional problem today lay in the acoustics of the arena, which were rather too good, coupled with the fact that the speed of sound at one end of the stadium was slightly off-beat compared with the other end, a drawback exacerbated when both sides tried to recover the gap. These acoustical anomalies did not count for much if you were standing next to Mustrum Ridcully, as the Arch-Chancellor was one of those gentlemen who will sing it beautifully, correctly enunciated, and very, very loudly. When dragons belch and hippos flee, my thoughts hank more pork are of thee, he began. Trev noticed, to his surprise, that Nut was standing stiffly to attention. His own mouth operating on automatic, he looked along the massed rank of Ankh-Morpork United. About fifty-fifty, he thought. Half of them decent old cloggers, and half of them Andy and his chums. His gaze lighted on Andy just as he thought that, and Andy flashed him a little smile and pointed a finger briefly. But I'm not playing, Trev thought, because of my old mum. He glanced down at the palm of his hand. No star there, he was sure of that. Anyway, he thought, staring at the opponents, when it all goes bad, the referee is a wizard after all. Let others boast of Marshal Dash, for we have boldly fought with cash, roared the crowd at various pitches and speeds. I mean, Trev thought, he wouldn't switch off his own magic, would he? We own all your helmets, we own all your shoes. I mean, he really wouldn't do that, would he? 
The only person who could stop it if it all went wrong wouldn't have made a mistake like that. We own all your generals. Touch us and you'll lose. Yes, he has done. He has done just that. More porkier, more porkier, more porkier owns the day. Trev shouted to quell his own rising panic. He has done that. We all saw him. He's kept his own staff inside the field where you can't do magic. He looked at Andy, and Andy nodded. Yes, he had worked it out as well. We can rule you wholesale. Touch us, and you'll pay. It is considered in the Stow Plains that only scoundrels know the second verse of their national anthem, since anyone spending time memorising that would be up to no good purpose. The Ankh Morpork national anthem, therefore, had a second verse that was deliberately written as "ner ner ners," and the occasional coherent word desperately trying to stay afloat, on the basis that this is how it would sound in any case. Trev listened to it with even more agony than usual, but everyone joined in cheerful unison for the last line, which everybody knew. We can rule you wholesale. Credit where it's due. Glenda, one arm as far across her bosom as it would go, risked a look at what would still probably be called the royal box. Just as Vetinari raised the goldish-coloured urn, and a cheer went up. Ankh-Morpork was not particularly keen on cheering the patrician, but it would cheer money any day of the week. Yet it seemed to Glenda that there was some strange harmonic to the cheer coming up from under the ground itself. As if the place was one huge mouth, then the feeling went away, and the day came back. Gentlemen, team players to their places," said the Arch Chancellor of Brazenek haughtily. "Ah,、uh, can I have a word with you, sir?" said Trev, sidling up as quickly as possible. "Ah,、oh, yes, Dave Likely's boy," said the former dean. "We are about to play football, Mister Likely. I'm sure you've noticed." "Yes, sir. Well, er,、uh, but do you know of any good reason why I should hold up the game?" The referee demanded. Trev gave up. Henry produced a coin from his waistcoat pocket. "Mostrum," he said. "Heads," said the Arch Chancellor, and he turned out to be wrong. "Very well, Mister Hoggett. And who has the ball?" Gloing, gloing. Nut picked the ball out of the air and handed it over. "Me, sir." "Ah, you are the coach for the academicals." "Yes, but a player as well, should it become necessary." Gentlemen, you will see that I am placing the ball in the centre of the pitch. It's true that the Arch Chancellor, formerly known as Dean, did rather relish the occasion. He took a few steps back, paused for dramatic effect, produced a whistle from his pocket, and flourished it. He gave a blow that only a man of that size could give. His face began to twitch and go red. He raised his megaphone to his lips and shouted, "Any boy who has not brought his kit will play in his pants." Followed by Ponder Stibbons shouting. I want to know who gave that to him. The crowd roared, and you could hear the laugh going away in the distance, rolling down the streets as every listener in the crowded city passed it on, bringing back such memories that at least two people started to forge letters from their mother. In his goal, the librarian swung himself to the top of his posts to get a better look. In his goal, Charlie Barton, goalkeeper for United, methodically lit his pipe. And the man with the biggest problem within the ground that day, apart possibly from Trev, was the editor of the Times, Mr. William De Word, who had not trusted any underling with the reporting of this unique, most prestigious occasion, but wasn't at all sure how it should be done. At the whistle, he'd managed. The United Chief, should I say Chief? There must be a better word for him, but I can sort that out in the office. Does not actually appear to know what to do next.
Arch-Chancellor Ridcully, BF... No, 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 I'll fill that in later, has kicked the ball hard towards... Well, actually, it has hit Jimmy Wilkins, formerly of the Miners, who seems uncertain as to what to do with it. No, no, he's picked it up. He's picked up the ball. The referee, who is the former Dean of Unseen University, has called him over for what I imagine is to be a refresher course in the rules of this new game of football. A megaphone, thought to word. That's what I need. An extremely big megaphone so I can tell everyone what's going on. The ball has been handed to, let me see, number 69, oh yes, the multi-talented Professor Bengo Macarona, who, according to the regulations, the new rules, is allowed what is known as a free kick from where the infringements took place. And it's, and here comes Bengo Maca, sorry, Professor Bengo Macarona for Unseen Academicals, and, oh my word, it has gone right down the pitch at shoulder height, making a noise like a partridge. Uh, check with Nature Notes correspondence on whether I have the correct simile. The ball has hit Mr Charlie Big Boy Barton in the stomach, with such force as to carry him into the back of the net. What a display! And this would appear to be a goal. At least one goal, I should think. And the crowd are on their feet, though technically most of them were there already anyhow, he wrote conscientiously with a journalist's well-known desire to get things right. And yes, they are celebrating the hero of the moment, and the refrain coming from the lips of the academical supporters in their unique patois seems to be, One macarona, there's only one macarona, one macarona. In his seat, the university's master of the music fumbled for his notebook and wrote down rapidly, Macarona unum est, certes macarona est, and couldn't wait to get back to the choir. No, no, something seems to be happening. Macarona has left the pitch and is talking animatedly to the crowd. He appears to be haranguing them. Those he has been talking to look subdued. At this point, one of the editor's assistants hurried over with a brief digest of what had transpired on the other side of the pitch. De Word wrote quickly, hoping that his homemade shorthand would not fail him. With that hot-blooded resolve that is so lovably typical of the native genuine... Professor Macarona is apparently insisting that any celebratory chanting should include his full name and full list of honours, and is helpfully writing them down. There also appears to be a bit of a hiatus around United's goal, as some of Charlie Barton's teammates help him find his pipe, and also, it transpires, the editor of the Times liked the word transpire, the other half of the pork pie it transpired he had been eating at the time the goal was scored. It appears that, not unlike many of us, he had underestimated the speed of the new ball. And now the ball appears to be back in the centre of the pitch, where there is another argument going on. "'But they've just scored a goal,' said Mr Hoggett. "'Yes, quite so,' said the former dean, wheezing gently. "'That means they get to kick off next.' "'That means we don't, but we've just lost a goal.' "'Yes, that's what the rules say.' "'But that's not fair. We want to kick. They kicked it last.' "'But it's not about the kicks, Mr. Hoggett. "'It's what you do with them.' "'And Arch-Chancellor Ridcully runs towards the ball. "'He turns swiftly and has kicked the ball towards his own goal.' "'The editor wrote furiously, "'Almost all of United's team are running up "'to take advantage of this strange faux par. "'Not entirely cognizant.' "'The editor liked that word, too. "'It was so much better than aware. "'But the famous librarian of Unseen University has just—' "'He stopped.' blinked, and grabbed one of his assistants, who had turned up with a full list of Bengo Macarona's honours, and pushed him down in the chair. 
"'Write down everything that I say,' he shouted, "'and I hope your shorthand is better than mine, "'and if it isn't, you'll be sacked in the morning. "'This is insane!' "'They did it on purpose. "'I'll swear they did it on purpose.' "'He kicked the ball directly at his own goalkeeper, "'knowing, I swear, that he could take advantage "'of the librarian's renowned upper body strength "'to throw the ball almost the entire length of the pitch. "'And there is Bengo Macarona, "'more or less unnoticed by his opponents.' heading towards the missile while United have streamed away from their citadel, like the ill-fated Marinids during the First Prodostian War. The editor liked to think of himself as a classicist. "'I've never seen anything like it,' he shouted at his almost deafened assistant. "'They've got United all in the wrong place. "'And there goes Macarona. "'The ball appears to be attached to his feet, "'and there ahead of him appears to be the only member of the luckless United squad "'that knows what's going on, Mr Charles Big Boy Barton.' who nevertheless is staggering out of the goalmouth like the giant octopal upon seeing the hordes of the Mormidons. The editor fell silent, forgetting everything as the ground between the two men shortened by the moment. Oh, no, he said. There was a huge cheer from the crowd. What happened? said the assistant, pencil poised. Didn't you see it? Didn't you see it? said the editor. His hair was dishevelled, and he looked like a man nearing madness. Macarona ran round him. I don't know how the ball stayed at his feet. "'Do you mean he dodged past him, sir?' said the assistant. The noise of the crowd would have been incandescent had it been visible. "'Another goal!' said the editor, slumping. Two goals in as many minutes. "'No, he didn't dodge him. He ran around him. Twice. And, I'll swear, ended up going faster.' "'Ah, yes,' said the assistant, still writing. "'I went to a lecture about that sort of thing once. It was about how things don't hit the world turtle, sir.' It was like a slingshot effect. He may have picked up additional speed as he rounded the goalkeeper's enormous girth, sir. And listen to the crowd roar, said the editor, and write it down. Yes, sir, that would be one Professor Macarona, D. Thou Bug, D. Mouse Chub, Magisteludorum Q.I.S., Octavium Ons, P.H.G.K. Blit, D.M.S.K., Mac, D. Thou Bra, Visiting Professor in Chickens, Yarn the Conqueror University, Floor 2, Shrimp Packers Building Genua, Primo Octo Dukes, Visiting Professor of Blit, Slewed Exchanges, Al Carly, K.C.B.F.J., Reciprocating Professor of Blit Theory Unki, D. Thou Unki, Didymus Supremius Unki, A. Meritus Professor in Blit Substrata Determinations Chub, Chair of Blit and Music Studies, Quirm College for Young Ladies. There's only one Professor Macarona, D. Thou Bug, D. Mouse Chub, Magisteludorum Q.I.S., Octavium Ons, P.H.G.K. Blit, D.M.S.K. Mac, D. Thou Bra, Visiting Professor in Chickens, Yarn the Conquer University, Floor 2, Shrimp Packers Building, Genua, Primo Octo Dukes, Visiting Professor of Blit, Slewed Exchanges, Al Kali, KCBFJ, Reciprocating Professor of Blit Theory, Unki, D. Thou Unki, Didymus Supremius Unki, Emeritus Professor in Blit Substrata Determinations, Chub, Chair of Blit and Music Studies, Quirm College for Young Ladies, there's only one Professor Bengo Macarona, D. Thou Bug, D. Mouse Chub, Magus Ludorum QIS, Octavium Ons, PHGK Blit, DMSK Mac, D. Thou Bra, Visiting Professor in Chickens, Yarn the Conquer University, Floor 2, Shrimp Packers Building, Genua, Primo Octo Dukes, Visiting Professor of Blit, Slude Exchanges, Al Kali, 
KCBFJ, Reciprocating Professor of Blit Theory Unki, D. Thau Unki, Didymus Supremius Unki, A. Meritus Professor in Blit Substrata Determinations Chubb, Chair of Blit and Music Studies Quirm College for Young Ladies, Only One Professor Bengo Macarona, D. Thau Bug, D. Mouse Chubb, Magus Ludorum QIS, Octavium Ons, PHGK Blit, DMSK, Mac, D. Thau Bra, Visiting Professor in Chickens, Yarn the Concrete University, Floor 2 Shrimp, Packers Building Genua, Primo Octo Dukes, Visiting Professor of Blit Slewed Exchanges, Al Carly, KCBFJ, Reciprocating Professor of Blit Theory, Unki, D. Thau Unki, Didymus Supremius Unki, A. Meritus Professor in Blit Substrata Determinations, Chubb, Chair of Blit and Music Studies, Quirm College for Young Ladies, but wouldn't he be off the side, sir? That would indeed appear to be the complaint of the luckless warriors of United, said the editor. They are clustering around the referee, and what would I give to be a fly on that wall? There is no wall, sir. It would seem... And the editor stopped dead. Who is that? What is that, sir? Look over there at the stands. The upper-class stands, I might add, to which we were not invited. The sun usefully took this opportunity to appear from behind the clouds, and the bowl of the hippo seemed to fill with light. "'That's the micromail girl, sir,' said the assistant. Even some of the protesting United team were looking up at the stands now. She hurt the eyes, but they were dragged towards it again. "'I've got her picture on my bedroom wall,' said the assistant. "'Everyone's been looking for her,' he coughed. "'They say it doesn't chafe, you know.' Now all the footballers on the field, bar the unfortunate Charlie Barton, who was having a dizzy spell, were clustered around the referee, who said— I repeat, it was a perfectly acceptable goal, a trifle unkind and showy, perhaps, but nevertheless entirely within the rules. You've watched the unseen lad's training. The game moves about. It doesn't send you a clack to tell you what's happening next. A voice a little lower down said, It is an elementary mistake to believe that even the most doughty keeper of the net can single-handedly defend against the full might of the opposing team. This was nut. "'Mr. Nutt, you are not supposed to tell them that sort of thing,' said Ridcully. Mr. Hoggett looked downcast, a man betrayed by team, history, and expectations. "'I can see we've got a lot to learn,' he said. Trev pulled Nutt off to one side. "'And this is where it all goes bad,' he said. "'Oh, come now, Mr. Trev, we're doing very well. Bengo is, anyway. I'm not watching him. I'm watching Andy, and Andy is watching Bengo. They're biding their time.' They're letting the poor old buggers get into a hell of a fix, and then they'll just take over. And then Trev was given a short lesson in why wizards are wizards. I have a modest proposal, and I wonder if you will hear me out, referee. While we at Unseen University are absolute novices, we have had rather more time to get to grips with a new football than our current opponents have. Therefore, I propose to give them one of our goals, said Ridcully. You can't do that, sir, said Ponder. Why? "'Is it against the rules?' Ridcully's tone deepened and became noticeably more pompous. "'I ask you, are good sportsmanship, fellowship, and generosity against the rules, pray?' By the end of the sentence his voice was audible nearly to the very back of the stadium. "'Well, of course, there is nothing against it, sir. There isn't a rule stopping you washing your laundry during the middle of the game, and that is because no one would do it.' "'Right. Mr. Hoggett, one of our girls is now yours. We are, as it were, level.' Hoggett, transfixed, looked around at his fellow players. "'Well, there, if you insist, sir.' "'Wouldn't dream of taking no for an answer,' said Ridcully expansively. "'What in the world made him do that?' said the editor of the Times, as an exhausted runner brought him the news. "'It was a very generous gesture.' 
"'Why did you do it?' said Ponder to Ridcully. "'I am totally transparent, Stibbons. Generous to a fault, that's me. It's not my fault that they do not know that they are inferior, and this will play on their minds for the rest of the game.' "'That's rather cunning, sir.' "'Yes, it is, isn't it? I'm rather proud of it. And once again we get to kick first. No wonder this is such a popular game.' "'That was a remarkable piece of psychology there,' said Nut to Trev as they walked back to the sidelines. "'Somewhat cruel, possibly, but clever.' Trev said nothing. There was the shrill call of the whistle for the game to resume, followed instantly by the referee screaming, "'A little bit of hail won't hurt you, boy. It's healthy and will do you good.' "'That's magic,' said Trev. "'Should that be happening?' "'No,' said Ponder Stibbons behind him. "'It's just possession.' "'Yes, the game is all about possession, Mr. Trev,' said Nut. Trev looked up again at the stand. There was the shining shape of Juliet, only a few feet away from Veterinari himself, and flanked by Glenda and Pepe. She could be a goddess. It's never going to happen, is it? he said to himself. Not her and a boy from the candle vats. Not really going to happen. Not now. And then Bingo screamed, and it seemed as though every voice in the stadium joined in one communal, Oh! and the whistle blew again. What happened, sir? said the editorial assistant. Can't exactly be sure. They got the ball to Macarona again, and then he collided with a couple of United players, and they all ended up in a heap. Nut, the first to reach the stricken Macarona, looked up at Trev gravely. Both patellas dislocated, he said. We'll need a couple of men to take him down to the Lady Sybil. The former dean looked around at the clustered footballers. So, what happened here, Mr Shank? he said as perspiration dripped off his chin. Andy momentarily lifted a finger to his forelock. "'Well, sir, I was rushing forward according to the rules to tackle Mr Macarona, "'and I had no idea at all that Jimmy the Spoon here had got exactly the same idea "'and was coming from a different direction, "'and suddenly we were all there together going arse over tip, if you would excuse my clatchian.' 